The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange from Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Anthony Curry, and I have with me in the studio the Honourable Kevin Rudd, former Labour Prime Minister of Australia and current President of the Asia Society Policy Institute, to talk about trade wars, President Trump and China. Former Prime Minister, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. So here we are sitting here in New York, and we've got the beginnings of a trade war looming around us. We've just had uh, President Trump here in the United States impose aluminium, I will say aluminium, not aluminium, and steel tariffs on much of the rest of the country. As a former prime minister and former foreign minister of your country, how how do you interpret what's going on at the moment, what what Trump may be doing, and how the rest of the world is responding or not? Perversely, at this stage, I have different responses to the two big initiatives uh, which currently lie on the president's desk. On North Korea, despite his unorthodox approach, it's broadly trending positive. Uh, And I say that for the simple reason that the risk of military conflict is now much less than it was. We're yet to see what we yielded by the summit, but it's always better to jaw-jaw than to war-war, as Churchill said. So despite all of this sound and fury surrounding uh, on-again, off-again, on-again, if we look through into the entrails of it, These guys are determined to meet. They will shake the tree and see what can come out of it in terms of elements of a denuclearization agenda. And then a judgment will be made whether that's acceptable to the body politic here. Um, So on that one, in terms of global stability, at this stage, he gets a solid pass mark. On the protection agenda, and that's what it is, protectionism, it's not a pass mark at all. And when you're about to initiate uh, a trade war in two hemispheres, the Atlantic Hemisphere as well as the Pacific Hemisphere, uh, you have a problem. On the China front, uh, obviously, the bilateral trade deficit has captured the President's attention. But on where we are now, which is with uh, $3 billion worth of trade in steel and aluminium tariffs already uh, earmarked, and with $50 billion worth of tariffs to flow, we are dangerously close to falling across a precipice and into a very deep ravine. Trade wars, as you know from your own experience, are very easy to start and they're very hard to stop because politics then enters into it. Finally, on the question of the Europeans, if uh, your allies, namely Canada uh, and the Europeans, but now also Mexico, are thrown into the mix uh, on steel and aluminium, Uh, and you begin to have an upcoming G7 summit being described as a G6 plus one, Mm. Uh, we know we have not just a problem at mill on the the economy and trade, we're beginning to have a wider foreign policy problem as well. Mm. It's very easy, as I said before, to start trade wars. It's very easy for them to actually proliferate into wider wars, infecting investment access and infecting capital flows as well. And then the impact on the real economy via the mechanism we call confidence uh, becomes palpable and real and what should be a buoyant time for the global economy. And it doesn't help global geopolitics as well. So on this one, I do not see at this stage a clear path through. Uh, Given your role at the Asia Society, but also your background, firstly, you know, in being prime minister of, of Australia at a time when China was and still is very important to the economy, but also your background. I mean, you speak fluent Mandarin. How do you think China is interpreting what President Trump is doing? 
when he won the election, our general sense from the contacts we had in China from our colleagues over there was that the Chinese would, would to some extent, appreciate someone who was rather more of a haggler and a deal maker. I mean, it, it sounds almost stereotypical to say that, but how do you think they're responding to Trump, given how well you know them yourself? China, in its uh, global negotiating strategy, always respects strength and is contemptuous of weakness. That's the first principle. Mm. And I think at the get-go, they saw in Trump someone who was strong, unorthodox, but strong. The second point comes into bear as well. Like the Russians, they concluded there was a strategic or an economic deal to be had Mm. here somewhere, if only they could find it. And thirdly, they thought that if they could rectify the trade balance over time, then this would actually deal with a whole series of other structural problems alive in the U.S.-China relationship, uh, which would help the Chinese economy to continue to grow, shall I say, effectively into the long term. It's not, therefore, the strength of President Trump that they are concerned about. It's not uh, his predisposition to be a dealmaker. What the Chinese find very difficult to deal with is his unpredictability. Right. And whereas Mr. Trump would see this as a negotiating advantage, In the world of trade diplomacy, economic diplomacy, and real diplomacy, it can create unforeseen consequences. Right now in Beijing, I think the mood is something along the lines of people pulling their hair out, wondering ultimately what the American bottom line is. They've had three sets of negotiations now on this matter, the third of which has just been concluded in Beijing without success. Uh, The mood in Beijing is not just somber, it is... I would say, increasingly enraged. Mm. And I am concerned about one thing and one thing most of all, that if those who are concerned and committed in China to maintaining a stable US-China relationship and maintaining China as some continued strong participant in the international rules-based economic order, continued hostility from the United States is more likely to strengthen the hand of the economic and political nationalists within the country to take it in the reverse direction. Mm. That's my concern about the consequences which flow from a, shall I say, out-of-the-deal approach Mm. taken to the extreme. So how do you see that playing out, given that President Xi now has basically carte blanche within reason to to run the country, to run China? How many factions are out there and who will control what the response is? Well, on the economy, and if we're talking about the question of China's future uh, trade policy towards the United States and generally, that rests in the hands of the senior vice premier, Liu He, who has visited Washington twice in the last three months, together with uh, his immediate team of advisers, together with Xi Jinping himself. That is the core team. Mm. Uh, What I'm concerned about is that if President Trump and his negotiators continue effectively to humiliate Liu He, who has studied in this country, understands it well, and I think was at the uh, Harvard Kennedy School back in the the 90s, is that if folks like that continue to return to their political masters empty-handed, other than with a bag of insults in their back pocket, public insults in their back pocket, then I think we're in for a difficult time ahead. As I said, to begin with, showing China that Trump was strong, nothing wrong with that. Showing that they wanted to do something about the trade deficit, nothing wrong with that. In fact, a lot that was right with it, so long as it was right in the sense of securing greater market access for the future. Good for China, good for the United States, good for the world. But 
an erratic negotiating strategy which uh, has multiple players at work, uh, often working against each other in terms of Lighthizer and Navarro in one corner, Mnuchin in another corner from the Treasury, and Wilbur Ross somewhere up the middle. That's problematic if you're on the receiving end of it. Yeah. So what do you think, what do you think China's ultimate bottom line is itself? China's ultimate bottom line is, so with the United States, A, avoid a war at all costs, because China knows if it had to fight a physical war, then uh, it would probably lose mm. now. Two, a- avoid an economic war if you can, although there's a growing confidence in China that if all this goes on, this will hurt the United States at least as much as China and maybe more. Right. And third, the impossible to predict bottom line, therefore, is when is the crossover point reached? I would say the date which seems to be set in concrete now is around about the 15th of June when President Trump has indicated that the $50 billion list of tariffs affecting a whole range of Chinese goods and services is about to be uh, listed and therefore, I presume, given effect. I think his timing of that is deliberate. The 12th of June is the date of his summit with Kim Jong-un in Singapore uh, on the North Korean question. Trump is of the view that the Chinese have great influence over Kim Jong-un. They have some influence, but it's not decisive. If Trump is not happy with the Singapore outcome, I think it would further steal his arm to be punitive towards China on the 15th. The reverse logic may apply as well. That's a very risky strategy, though, isn't it? Well, if it is, it sounds like a ploy rather than a strategy. As I said, it's difficult to piece the threads together of the United States' public negotiating strategy and what we can devise about its internal negotiating strategy, A, with the Chinese and B, with the Europeans, to see that there is a whole lot of consistency associated with it. And that's what worries me. As I said, it's easy for, as it were, the uh, technicalities of a tariff negotiation to spill over into a wider trade war and in turn spill over into a wider economic war and a wider high technology war, which we're almost in it already in terms of what's happening with ZTE. But it's also easier for this to poison fundamentally the foreign policy environment and create a brittleness in the US-China relationship, which frankly uh, creates more problems, not less, on the question of the strategic relationship between these two thousand-pound gorillas. Right. Well, let's leave it there. Kevin Rudd, former Prime Minister of Australia, thanks so much for insights and thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Exchange. This episode was produced by Ben Kellerman and Andrew D'Antonio. Do sign up for our podcast on iTunes and don't forget to check us out at breakingviews.com.